This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com slash ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com slash ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal, but I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. Extra Charlie, take three. You are listening to a special edition iFanboy podcast on Prometheus. Hello, welcome to a special edition iFanboy podcast on Prometheus. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I'm here with Paul Montgomery. Hello, everybody. And Mike Romo. Hey, guys. 
We are all from iFanboy.com, and normally we talk to you about the week in comics, and but sometimes we talk about the movies that come out that are related to comics, and Prometheus being the alien prequel, there have been many, many, many alien comics over the years, so we thought this would be within the realm, plus we could do whatever we want. We just felt like it. Because we are in charge. So next week there's going to be one on, uh, what's, what's out right now? Madagascar 3. Yeah, that's that'll be that'll be great. I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm a big fan of the the work. Prometheus is the return of Ridley Scott to the uh, film series that he began. I guess we were talking last night after seeing it. Have there been six Alien movies now? It really depends what kind of freak you are to count those other Alien versus Predator movies. Paul, what do you think? Those are there's four main Alien movies, and then yeah, those things. Um, So four, four technically. Okay, so there's been a lot of them, and, and Ridley Scott started in 1979 when he directed the first one, Alien, and then it was James Cameron's Aliens, and then for some people, it stops there. But Paul, uh, Paul on his podcast, The Pussy Typewriter Show, you've been going through all the Alien films, right? Yeah, we yeah. did. We did a show on, on each one of them, and then we did like a drippings episode, which is just on like the toys and the comics, and, um, and then the AVP movies, and I wish we didn't commit to doing that, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, the first four, there's there's stuff worth talking about in each of them. And actually, our favorite was three, because we got to talk about the scripts for... There, there were drafts of that that didn't happen that were actually much more interesting than the movie that came out. But Prometheus. So that was all in anticipation of the release of Prometheus, one of the most anticipated films of the summer. Um, Paul, you saw it, wrote a review on iFanboy, a rather glowing review. Mike and I saw it together last night. And I was really interested, Paul. I haven't read... Mike read your review, but I didn't read it, because I wanted to sort of come in fresh, find out your take. Mm-hmm. Uh, just through talking to you, you really, you really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I, I had, you know, the, I, I have some, some qualms with it, but overall, I really, I really enjoyed the experience. And I don't know, maybe, maybe part of that is going in, and I, I heard some people, you know, from you know across the pond weren't so big on it, so maybe that affected, you know, my expectations going in. But, um, but I, I saw it in IMAX 3D. And I am glad for it because it's shot in 3D. Um, I'm not usually a proponent for going to a live action movie in 3D because it's usually, you know, they convert it afterwards. But this was shot for 3D and it looked great in IMAX. And um, I had a lot of fun with it, with a lot of the themes and the mythology. So um, I had a blast with it. Were there, any, were there any scenes that were like fully framed for IMAX or is just a big presentation? I don't believe it, it. Like it's, I don't think it was like the Nolan Batman movies where yeah, there's yeah. actual there's IMAX some... stuff, but all those vistas in the beginning, really you know, all those great landscape shots, it looked really beautiful. I di- and I didn't see it in like a real IMAX theater. I saw it in like IMAX Junior. I don't know. It's just it's a bigger screen. <laughs> it's a lowercase i. Yeah. So so Mike and I saw it last night. When it was over, uh, we turned to Mike and. I- I think the how do we describe your face? Confused, uh, it's stunned, stunned, uh, confused, confused. Not actually disgust. sure what I just saw. No, I mean we were just so hot. That's that was, <laughs> that's, that's what you saw. Disgust. We saw it at the ArcLight Cinerama Dome in the extra special sort of where they would usually put trash containers, but the they put seats in the sauna section. Yeah, we we each lost about five pounds, which was about one of the margaritas that we had. But we saw it. The face was um, a confused look. Um, I had that sort of nerd guilt where I was like, I am so I am genetically programmed to love this movie, and yet um, I just kept not loving it for a variety of reasons. And I've been really tortured. Um, my nightmares last night were actually uh, somebody moved my speakers around and I couldn't put them back into position. So I don't know what that means. 
It just means that I was really disassociated from the film. So I, uh, I loved the imagery. I thought the prologue was one of the one of the most striking pieces of cinema that I've seen all year. Um, and but I felt like it was for another movie. Um, it, that was sort of, and I, I kept feeling like I was watching aspects of a, of a really compelling movie, but then wasn't sure what the other stuff I saw. Uh, we, we were sort of wondering, so what actually happened in this film? It's to be, and, and I'm really curious to, to Paul's, because I'm, I'm ready to be convinced that this was a good movie. Me too. Um, I didn't, I think like Mike, I liked a lot of it. I thought it was beautifully shot, and I thought it looked great. Um, and it's it's just funny when you're when you're a prequel and you look so much better than the original, especially with the technology and this and the special effects. Um, it's just to me the story wise, I was trying to figure out what the point of it was. And I, uh, when you have a prequel, you 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 really got two two options. One is to sort of set up the original films and have everything fall into place. And I think the Star Wars films went too far with that, where they make too uh, many connections. They try to make too many connections, and where then there's the prequel that add something to the story, which I think the X-Men First Class prequel did really well in that it added, added a layer to the mythology and, 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 and told some interesting stories that, le- that led to the first films without being you know, slavish like the Star Wars films were. So then my question was, what did Prometheus add to the story? Or what kind of prequel was it? I guess I couldn't figure what out what. Prequel? Well, okay, well, yeah. it, it, might, it might help to look at it in, in some of Ridley Scott's comments. And uh, I'll, I'll be up front in you know, monitoring the situation. Um, I, I'm apparently in the minority on loving this. There there are people who do love this, but I, a lot of people are, are have been very dismissive of it and uh, just did, had had a lot of problems with some of the logic in the movie. And um, I think there are some people who wanted more xenomorph stuff, um, you know, more of those, those aliens, and you only get a little bit of that at the end. Um, even the face huggers here aren't recognizable. It's yeah. other versions of them. So it feels a little bit like a different movie. So the only real touchstone in this film that, that totally links it up or the, or is the space jockey that you may remember from 1979's Alien when they go yeah. into that derelict ship and the derelict ship itself, the, the big toilet seat ship, which is rolling after them at the end. Um, right. But one, I think something that's important to note, Ridley Scott looks at this as, if he says, if we're lucky, this is the first of three movies that would link up to Alien. So... Um, well, he just wants I, another island or another house. I mean, so I well, I, th- I think a lot of people were were waiting for that the the engineer that uh, is roaming around on the planet at the end to you know fire up the ship and get out of there, and for that to link up directly to to Alien, which it doesn't. There's there's two more steps until we get to that. Well, the, the, the tough part with that is. That's okay for something like Lord of the Rings where everyone knows there's going to be three movies and they're shooting them back to back to back. When you're just doing one and you never know if you're going to get two, another one, let alone two more, you really have to be able to tell a full story on its own. I don't know that there was a full story in this, in this movie. Well, there, was too I, many, there, was, there was so many unanswered questions when you came out of it that if you never get another movie, then you're left with, a, you're left with Act 1 and you're never going to get Act 2 and 3. So in that sense, for instance, like Christopher Dolan today was, was at a symposium the day we were recording this and it's Sony, and he was saying he he didn't plan beyond Batman Begins. He had a story to tell in one movie, and didn't think about the next one. Right. And then the same thing with Dark Knight. Dark Knight. And he said you got to put it all into the one movie, and then worry about it after if there's going to be more. And I think the problem with with Prometheus was 
Ridley Scott might have had two movies in his, in his mind, but for the audience, we only have this one movie. And mm-hmm. if we don't get a full story, uh, uh, you know, then it's tough coming out of it. You know? Well, it certainly just sort of ends with, I mean, I think it stands alone just in terms of if you want a movie that's kind of dissati- unsatisfying at the end. I mean, I get that this is some kind of thing about exploration and looking for creation, but I, I and Paul made a really good comparison to Sunshine where I felt like the movie just kind of devolved at the third act into this into the one of the Phantom Menace spaceships rolling after the hero. And I'm always like, well, just turn right, run to the right, and you won't have to run so fast away from this spaceship. I was really distracted by the action scene. There's a, there's a lot of people calling that one out where, like, why don't you just, you know, make a right or left turn instead of, like, people do dumb things when they're, you know, scared. So I'm I'm willing to let that one go. I should feel their fear then. I should feel as confused and, like, panicked as them and not be distracted by the, and not try to play the video game. I okay. Guess. It just, I, I guess for a while I was watching a movie as opposed to sort of experiencing the story. Um, well, that's what the IMAX is for. I was <laughs> I was fully immersed and I was scared because everything was rolling. <laughs> I was rolling. I, I was in the sweet spot. I got the perfect seat in that IMAX theater. And no, um, no, well, I, th- I, I think that's I think that's fair. Too. I think that's fair that you know you 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 feel like you di- you didn't get the resolution that you wanted. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I was no so I was I. so I was so wrapped up in those themes and in the mythology and the idea of meeting your maker and that not quite working out. Um, and what worked for me was that she had that that um, Numi Rapace um, Elizabeth Shaw has like a call to action at the end, and she's in, she's not retreating back home to Earth. She's going to go after these engineers and, and find out more. And taking her fast bender head, and she's going home. She's taking her fast bender head, putting in a duffel bag, and and heading off. And I'm I'm very interested in that sequel. Um, you know, the, the the one thing I can say that I really did enjoy about the film was I thought performance wise, it was a lot of really good ones. I thought really fast bender was fantastic as the robot. And first of all, let, 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 let the lesson be never to be a dick to the robot. Yeah, always always because not he will th- poison you with an alien. And then you'll die and impregnate your girlfriend with alien. Um, the other one was Idris Elba, who, as the Han Solo esque captain of the ship, provided much needed levity. Yes, there was lots of dreariness to the movie, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but he provided a nice counterpoint. He was just charming and roguish, and he was Idris Elba and, and played an accordion. Played an accordion, belonged <laughs> to Stephen Stills. Um, let's just back up real quick before we get into more and, and just give a brief, re- brief recap of the story in case there's anyone listening who didn't, doesn't know what we're talking about. Um, and that might be a challenge depending on, on how well you, you saw things, but Paul, why don't actually use okay. it so much? Why don't you give a re- brief recap of the actual, of the plot? Okay. So Numi Rapace, a girl with a dragon tattoo from the original Swedish version. She, she is Elizabeth Shaw and she and her and her uh, boyfriend, uh, her fiance, her lover, um, played by uh, Logan Marshall Green, whose name is Holloway, and he wears flip-flops and um, interesting clothing choices. Anyways, they're sort of, they're sort of archaeologists, anthropologists, sort of like um, every kind of scientist that you want to be, so that's kind of weird. They, they specialize in a little bit of everything. They're going around the world, around the, you know, the planet Earth in, I believe it's uh, 2089 is where their story yeah. starts, and they're going into all these different tombs in different um, places around the world, uh, Hawaii, and they end up in an island off of Scotland. 
and they find these patterns or these cave paintings um, basically which which suggest to them basically that there was some kind of extraterrestrial engineer who came to earth and if they didn't facilitate human life they at least guided human life towards civilization and uh, advancements in technology and wait, wait wait how did you know that all i saw they was talk about painting, it <laughs> but i mean I, I guess I was. They were all just pointing at the stars. I thought it was a little bit of a leap. I mean, I, I know that they're saying, "Oh, these these uh, civilizations were separated by thousands of years. Why would there be any commonality?" Right. But I didn't get the the sense like, "Oh, those were our makers." I thought, I, you know, I just that. that really no, no, I'm just me. going by that's that's the yeah, briefing. That's, that's the right. briefing that they give on the Prometheus. That's true. Okay, you're right. So right. it's so basically so that I mean they don't they don't show everything you know but but anyways right. they they have these cave paintings and and it's not just showing depicting these engineers it's that what, what they see is an invitation to go to the stars once they have the technology to do so and have a big family reunion and uh so they talk to uh, uh wayland's the multi-billionaire that we know from the alien franchise the wayland yutani corporation and uh, he funds this trip, and they go on this this trip to the stars, and it takes like two years. And they're in cryo sleep, and while they're in cryo sleep, David the android is riding around on bicycles, shooting hoops. And, that part uh, was all excellent and creepy. I love that. That's part one of my favorite parts. Of the and he's and he, and he's watching uh, Lawrence of Arabia, and you and you know, and he becomes fascinated with Peter O'Toole, and and dyes his hair blonde, and uh, sort of mimics that character, and it's and you can't shake it for the rest of the film. And um and yes, yeah, so they're on the ship, and it's it's run by um they have they've Idris Elba is the captain, but then um uh Meredith Vickers is uh, Charlize Theron is like she owns the ship, and I think it's I mean at least for me I I kind of recognized that she had some kind of um relationship to Peter Wayland, the billionaire totally. who bought the totally. ship, and but so that 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 reveal was a little bit clunky when they have the sort of Darth Vader moment where she reveals yeah. that she's the daughter and uh there's an interesting sibling rivalry between her and david the android because that's sort of the pinocchio to wayland's geppetto and uh you can tell that he's got he he's gotten more of the love the fatherly love than she has ever gotten um so that's kind of an interesting subplot um but they get to this planet and at first they don't see anyone there but um they decide to go down and explore and I'm sorry, it's a moon. It's it's a it's a it's a sort of semi habitable moon, and it has these installations on it, these big round like mounds uh, coming up out of the ground. And they decide to go in there, and they have geologists and botanists, and they go explore, and they find um, storage units filled with weird urns that are filled with black primordial ooze, and uh, chaos ensues i don't know how much more we want that's, 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 yeah. that's a pretty that's a pretty accurate it's all, it's, and it's always a setup with these films that are so much fun to watch even though it was he was kind of following the script that scott was really following the script that he had created in the late 70s but the the different kinds of personalities that are brought together it's just a job to these guys i love i always love the bringing the crew together not unlike armageddon like you know which is my secret love movie but <laughs> like it just i love that aspect where it's just a job they've been cryo sleep like the beginning of the movie when they're flying through space i was just like honestly this hang out there for a while 
because I never got a sense I got to really see the relationships. And oddly enough, it was the relationships for me that I wanted that really I wanted to see more of this crew coming together. I thought they kind of had a lost opportunity of really bringing that crew together and, and establishing establishing some relationships so the audience could feel something when these people were in trouble. And I, I felt like they really rushed through, which was a really nice part of the movie. Yeah, I think I think one of the one of the things about Alien and Aliens is that you have oh, maybe not Aliens as much as Alien, but you have a better sense of the people. Like the first two guys that died in the movie, one is a biologist and one's a geologist, but you don't really know anything about them beyond that. And I couldn't even tell what their names were when they died. Um, but it, that I don't one's know. I, I'm just, I know that. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they kept yelling. But they, I to me, it just it just it, it came down to that by the end when I realized we weren't getting any answers. We didn't know why they in the first scene one of the engineers kills himself on earth we don't know why when they they wake they find the one living engineer on this planet he wakes up and just beats the hell out of everybody and tries to blow up or fly to earth and kill it like we don't know why anything happens and oh wait a second wait the engineer the prologue he was on earth that's what i assumed um you can you can look at it that way i uh, i read a comment ridley Ridley scott says it doesn't matter what planet is planet it is so i guess that was oh, man, that, that, that happened. Helped, that would help me a lot. I I think that's that's the easiest way to look at it. I think what Scott is saying is that happened on many planets. Right. That's my interpretation yeah. of it. But yeah, the idea was that I think is that that's on Earth, and this engineer uh, like drinks this goo, and it breaks down his DNA, and in an act of sacrifice, he creates life on on Earth, um, because we share DNA with the engineers. Right. See, I thought what I saw was when I wasn't distracted by the it looking like the Spider-Man opening credit sequence was <laughs> the DNA breaking down, and I thought he was like he was he was killing himself. I didn't know the DNA was spreading throughout the water to sort of populate the planet. That's, I mean, maybe they should have had a director's commentary on the freaking side of the movie, <laughs> so I don't know all this stuff. Now I feel kind of really stupid. Um, well, the DNA turned orange, so you know that means it's new oh, DNA. Oh, that's right, that's and. Right. <laughs> no, I don't know. Did you pay attention to biology? I was no. Um, th- th- there were some really. Uh, that being said, there were some really interesting sequences. Um, with you know, there were like these weird set pieces, action sequences that, even though they felt like okay, here we go with the action sequence, you know, they introduce that medical bed. You're just kind of waiting tick tock until they use the medical bed, right. which for some reason is designed for men only. That was that was ridiculous. But that was she, the clue that that was the clue the old man was on the ship. Yeah, but it was for her. I mean, so we were supposed to assume that Charlie's throne. I mean, you you would think I don't know. I I I, I, I knew that that was the clue once I saw him there. Right. But it didn't make any sense that it was it's, just oh, this it, is the male model. It's we weird. It's weird writing, and why would you have a medical bed that can do all of those things and only works on one gender? But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with Connor that it's kind of it's the idea is that it's a clue that this yeah. this whole medical pod and that whole um, that whole hub on the ship it wasn't meant for Vickers in the first place. It was that was meant for her dad. That was meant for Wayland the whole yeah. time, and she didn't didn't put that together. I think now, Paul, since you know these things, do you know yeah. if there were scenes with young Wayland? That were There's viral first? video stuff. He did like a um, this is a um, TED concert. A uh, TED yeah. Thing. It's uh, Guy Pierce. So that's another one of the complaints about the movie is that Guy Pierce is in this movie as this ancient Peter Whalen character in prosthetics the entire movie. There are no flashbacks that we see in this cut 
I imagine right. that there's a longer cut of this, knowing Ridley Scott, and um, there probably are flashbacks to regular Guy Pierce out of the prosthetics because those look kind really, of goofy. I was, I was really disappointed by the prosthetics. I mean, I felt like he looked like Mrs. Doubtfire. I was just like, <laughs> this is one of the, the biggest films of the year, and I think Connor, you brought it up. There was if. Maybe, Paul, you're right. There's going to be this extended cut, but the movie should stand on its own. Why not just use a real old guy who's really old? I agree with and that. And that it would have not been distracting at all. I didn't even know it was Guy Pierce. I got nothing out of that review. I don't know if it was because maybe, like, the guy was in peril because he's in some action scenes and gets knocked over and they couldn't use a real old man or something. I don't know. That's why I have stunt old men. <laughs> I, I thought I thought the uh, washing of the feet was really ham-fisted and heavy-handed, but I guess I guess Ridley just wanted to make a sort of pseudo-religious tale. It's not even pseudo. It's there's there's a lot of religion here, and there's a lot of like the cross, cr- Christ symbols, and yeah, and it's, I mean there's there's symbols, and then there's outright. I mean it's it's not even subtext. It's actual text of the movie that, and I, I, yeah, I I get that 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 can it, it gets overt in some areas but this is what the movie is about it's about going sure. and, and confronting your parentage so which, which would have been fine if there'd been any kind of for me if there'd been any kind of explanation as you know to... as to why the why did the guy wake up and beat everyone up and try to destroy the earth well, we part don't get two. i know but the point is it's one movie they played his flute part two what if we never get a part two the, the guy know. did the guy used his he saw david using his flute and he said that's my flute and now your whole race <laughs> is gone very done the thing is i don't think you know, you'll meet two people who wanted to like the movie more there was a lot of we, we sat through the whole credits just sort of gnashing our teeth because we didn't want to dislike it you know, yeah. we were trying to talk it through to find find what we liked, and it's tough. You just we didn't it didn't work for me. It didn't work for Mike. Um, I'm but glad the, it worked. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad so glad I saw it. I mean, yeah. it, it's a super fun movie to go with a few friends because if 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 it, anything, you end up having these great conversations about it after. You know, love it or hate it. I mean, yeah, it spilled so, into the parking lot to the to the. Yeah, it's kind of that's kind of what what I like about it, and even even if it's not like you know. Even beyond the community thing, I just like I like having questions myself that I, I'll be thinking about this for weeks, and I and I can understand where where some audiences would say that that's that's a failing of the movie that there are too many threads you know left untied. But for me, I I like considering those questions, and the questions being as big as they are, I don't know that it's easy to tie those up. Sure, um, I think I think what they movie. could use at the end. You don't need a post-credit sequence or something. But if I saw a little bit more of her, like, in that ship flying, like, at the controls or something, and there was some sort of hint that her adventure was going to continue. Because literally, I thought this was the movie. I had no idea there were three planned. And I just felt like, you know how when Darth Vader spins out of control, you get the sense, like, maybe he'll he'll come back. I, I just... I wish they had sort of set it up a little bit so I wouldn't be I wouldn't have been so frustrated because I, I'm like I love this world I love the technology I like being there and I think I was just so frustrated by the end of it like oh this is it I spent all this time thinking about this movie and then that was it if they had just hinted that there was more to come I think I wouldn't have been so frustrated at the very end but to Connor's point obviously the movie has to stand on its own but what did you guys think about the various callbacks to the other movies I, I really liked seeing the the armor or the spacesuit and the big sort of observation cannon thing. Uh, I, I like those little notes that they dropped. 
it was fun to, to go back to those. Yeah, it's it's cool because uh, it, it's cool because you don't know how everything is going to fit. Like, yeah, you're you sort of you you see a room that kind of looks like the room that the space jockey things in and you see a command seat and you're like, but that's not what it looked like. And then when it rises up, you're like, Oh, there it is. And I don't know. Yeah. You're, you're, you're trying, you're going in the back of your mind trying to say, okay, well, what needs to happen for everything to be like it was an alien. And so I, th- I think that that's, that's kind of fun without it being too fan servicey. Um, well, that, that's part of the what do you do with a tr- with a prequel? prequel do you right. really get too fan service, or do you just set it in the world and maybe it, you know, there's the whale incorporation, but that's not really a major thing, and, and or do you never really see the alien? I was the the final. There's a there's a there's not a post credit scene, but there's a after the movie ends before the credits start scene where the uh, xenomorph, or not the actual, not the same xenomorph as the alien movies, but a similar one pops out of the chest of. One of the characters who's who's been infected by the face sucker thing, the the, uh, yeah, the one engineer, yeah, and it, and I guess that is a xenomorph because the xenomorph is the 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 um the appearance of the xenomorph is predicated upon what it's coming out of, right? So we're used to seeing xenomorphs that come out of humans, and then three has one that comes out of a dog or a bull, depending on which version you see, but um, and then the alien versus predator once actually has a xenomorph that comes out of a predator, so it's called a predalien. Um, and it's best not to, <laughs> no, best not to not think a, about that, but, um, the alienator. but yeah, so this is, this is what a xenomorph would look like coming out of the engineers, whatever they're called. And it's kind of a, they're kind of a creepy design. I've always had this weird fear of, um, humanoid statues, like, like classical statues from like, like, you know, Rome, like, uh. um, just cause they're, they're like that much bigger than a regular human and they look like they could come alive at any point. And so, yeah, to, so, like. so to see this big, like, like marble white engineer with those like shark eyes like yeah. it's kind of terrifying he looked like david um i was really struck by that i actually it's that's that's actually kind of cool they had sort of tied it into some sort of greek statue because it looked like a sta- an old greek or roman statue come to life it's i hadn't really thought about that there's now. and there are um there are people floating some opinions around some some conjecture that maybe now if, if you say that that engineer we see in the beginning in that prologue who starts say that is earth and he is starting life on earth. And if you go with that Prometheus idea, the Prometheus isn't just symbolic because of Wayland trying to live forever. You know, his goal of going back to this, this planet, this moon, but that, um, that engineer was maybe one of the engineers and maybe he was going rogue and he went to the earth and he did this to start life on earth, basically giving, you know, if you know that old Prometheus story of giving humanity fire, um, fire mm. of the gods and maybe that wasn't you know a company decision maybe that was just him going rogue and maybe that's why at the end those other engineers wanted to go to earth and stop this from happening or or you know stop that problem because that's Interesting. that was uh, that yeah. was sacrilege or something so i think that's kind of an interesting theory there are, there are, i mean there's lots of interesting things to think about the lots of interesting ideas and and issues brought up in the film just didn't for me, didn't tie them all together strongly enough. Um, I don't know. It's tough. I, I just you. I felt like I was left wanting more at the end, which is maybe what we were supposed to. Um, hey, Paul, did you see the at the very end? They sort of do the Wayland uh, logo, and then there's the ten, eleven, twelve. Is that does does the internet know what that is? Is that like when the DVD comes out? Like, what is that? Do you know what that's supposed to mean? I'm not. I'm not sure. Okay. It was, um, but you know what we're talking about, right? 
I actually didn't. I, I didn't uh, the see very that end, at the very end of the credits, there's a Wayland Corporation logo under the date 10, 11, 12, which yeah. is in a few months. So we were wondering if that was when the world ends or <laughs> is that when the DVD is released or what's going to happen? But what do you guys think of finally just a, a couple of, uh, for me, I, I really thought that Charlie's Throne did a good job, even though she was, I could see that some people might think she was kind of wooden, but I think it's really Fassbender's movie. Um, I know that everybody's really into the the female lead, but I, I thought she was fine. I didn't think she was particularly compelling, but I thought Fassbender was clearly having the time of his life with this character. Um, so well, 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 to talk about well, to talk about Vickers, I mean, you could look at it as there's. I mean, there was the question was raised. Idris Elba asked, you know, are you an android or are you human? Like, so are you that. a robot? And um, I think she's clearly human because yes. oh, when, yeah. they, when they're blasting off, she's hurrying up to put on environmental suits. So that she can yeah. survive, she wouldn't be doing that if she was an actual robot. Oh, no, I think, and I think her performance and all of that um, is is based on she's trying to be more like David because that's maybe subconsciously because that's what her father likes. He 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 loves David and doesn't love her, and yeah. so he, so she acts cold and and like an android. Do we? What is the deal with androids really screwing over the humans? Like, why did he? Like contaminate the water, like and do the whole do that. I di- I didn't get a sense. I thought that he had been corrupted somehow. Are we supposed to think that he was trying to start a new life form? Like, did that seem to come out of left field for you guys, or it, was I? Just- it did at the time, and I, and I thought about it. I think he was just doing an experiment. I think I think honestly, he was curious, and like when they when they're you know down in the in the those those mounds in that that facility, he's like touching buttons without like talking to anybody like there's no protocol whatsoever and he's just hitting buttons and making choices of his own and yeah. i think he was just doing an experiment and, and he used the, doesn't the have the who, doesn't the have he was a dick to him as, as, yeah that's his control i think the thing that there was a line in the aliens about how the original the original or the early androids were was it temperamental or twitchy i think twitchy or something ash was yeah because ash is the one who turned on um on ripley and, and and all of them on uh, the Nostromo and um, and Bishop was making apologies for him and uh, so this so David is even er- earlier than Ash so yeah. he yeah. I think is prone to or he he doesn't have the same moral compass that someone like Bishop has interesting but, no Asimov code then right yeah the three laws of and as we as as Mike and I uh, discussed after the movie we've got a lo- we've got a short amount of time to get to that. But place technology wise, considering it's only about yeah seventy some odd years from now till that point in the movie, it's a lot of a lot of leaps we have to make. A lot of uh, physics that we have to conquer. Um, fun technology, though. I always love the the uh, the hardware design in these movies. I find them probably the most compelling of all the movies, the sci fi movies that I enjoy. Just, I think that I think that's another thing that's great about the three D. Um, you get the yeah. there's a there's great like HUDs throughout that the movie. Three D the three D really did work in this. It was movie. great. The, the, the HUDs the, uh, were really. Yeah, Connor called that out immediately, like after, during the credits. Actually, and all the all that, the projections and stuff. I, I was fun. yeah. I think that so I th- I think it's one of those rare cases where it's I think it's worth it um to check that out. Um just, vis- but, just visually there's there's hardly yeah. anyone that shoots as well as Ridley Scott does and I think from a just from a visual standpoint it's hard to argue with the film. It's there's gorgeous. just some great great compositions and stuff like there's a shot in the begin when you first meet uh Elizabeth and Holloway um yeah. she's like dusting away dirt from like the lens it looks like and then she reveals them by breaking away that dirt. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was I thought it was a great experience. I'm left with a lot of questions that I enjoy pondering, and uh, I but I understand that I'm in the minority on it. What did you guys think of the music? I, I the, there was definitely a theme that kept coming over and over and over again that I found kind of distracting. But yeah, I, it came up in weird scenes. Like there's yeah. this weird like triumphant scene, like like <laughs> yeah. like I mean um, theme, and it uh, I, was, I it came up during like creepy scenes and scenes yeah, where you make... wouldn't want music at all. And, um, yeah, it was like a, like an imperial march, just kind of toned down a little bit for the love making. I mean, it just like it, was, it just didn't make any. There was like I was like, they're gonna play this now. Okay. Yeah, I liked. I mean, I liked the music, but I just didn't like the placement of the music. Like, I didn't like <laughs> where they put it. In some cases, I, I didn't like it first. That there was a sex scene because there was something that was very lacking from the first two films. Is that it was very non-sexy. Even yeah. though even though there's there's scenes of scoring people bring around in underwear, it's still a very non sexy way. In Alien and Aliens, yeah. Yeah. Alien three, but, there's there's some sexy with uh, I don't I don't regard those movies as with as, with Tywin Lannister. Uh, oh really? Oh my god, I need to go Charles to Dance, yeah. Um That's but fun. then of course there was a reason in the film for it, but but when it happened, I was like, yeah. Oh come on. Really? Yeah. Like this the whole vibe of these films, at least to me, because I, I actually watched Alien and Aliens the day of watching Prometheus. I watched them back to back on DVD as I was working. In um, in getting ready for the movie, so I, I had pressure in my mind, and the, the vibe is very not that. If, if those movies had a sex scene in the middle, it'd been very awkward and weird, and I thought that was kind of awkward and weird here. But then it paid off, so in that sense, it, it worked. But um, it's just funny how they didn't make any effort. In, in, in the one thing the Star Wars films did okay in the prequels was that they made an effort to not show the technology was so vastly different, because even though they had the ability to with CGI. Whereas here, it's just, you know, the screens and everything, they, they went with the modern flat screens, floating floating imagery. And whereas in the original Alien films, you had some very clunky old computers doing some very old, clunky old computer things. Um, so That's true. In essence, they didn't, make a, they didn't make any effort to say, well, this is still older than the film, so let's make them look a little older. Have you seen the, the screenshot floating around? Um, there's a, a shot from, like, the bridge of the Prometheus, and one of the displays, um, one of the monitors... You can actually see a Windows OS bar with like icons on the bottom of it, and they forgot to like remove that, and so it's like so you know you think of that you know this is being this is like Windows and then and then something happens, um, some kind of weird technological cataclysm that uh, we go back to using like DOS, you know, by the time the Nostromo's out there, but the Nostromo's yeah, an older ship. It's a big older. It's a big computer virus. That's that's the secret at the end that brings us all back down. I don't know LEDs. So, so so Mike, if you had to, uh, you were very angsty after the movie last night. <laughs> now a day later, do you have any different thoughts? Do yeah, you... I mean, I, I was angsty because like I, I, anytime that Ridley Scott does something, I'm like I'm there. I I really he's like he's just such an amazing visionary director and. I had actually kind of been on internet and radio silence on the film. I was excited about it. I, I won't say that I have a real deep connection to the alien films. I really respect them. I, I've seen the second one a, a ton of times. We used to play D and D to the soundtrack. I mean, I, <laughs> I, but it's like, you know, I've seen all the alien films and, but I've never been like alien forever. Right. And I, when people, a couple people have asked me what, what, what I think. And I said, well, it's definitely worth seeing because it, visually it's arresting. Um, and, but, but there are just, you, you end up wondering why the movie was made, but now I can say, because what Paul said that there's going to be two other ones, 
you you kind of get the I can explain it a little bit better. But I really when I left, I, I left going, I don't know what happened. I don't know why this movie happened. It it they they went, we got a little sense of like our creators, and then then sunshine happened. And then it just became this action flick. And so I was I was very I was very very frustrated at the end of it because I wanted to like it so much, but uh, there were things that just sort of bothered me about it. So I, I think I'm still that, that way. I'm really happy I saw it, and I would I would tell people if they like science fiction that they've got to see it because you're not going to see science fiction like this done by anyone better, right? So I mean, this is science fiction. It's not space opera. This is like the nitty gritty. So in that sense, it's definitely worth seeing, and I would I would still recommend it. But I would just temper people's expectations, basically. Yeah, yeah I I I feel similarly. I mean. It- it could be that we get three films. It could be that this does well, and the next one, and there's three more films that it all make sense in the end, and we all get a complete story. Um, but until that happens, for right now, we're just left with an act one with no resolution. So for me, I'm disappointed in that sense. I, I'm not again, like Mike. I'm, not, I'm glad I saw it. I it was parts of it I really enjoyed. You know, there was it, it was some good stuff. It looked great. Ridley Scott's a fantastic director, but uh, when I came out of it, I was disappointed, and I think that hasn't really gone away. Even though I know that, that, that there may be more coming, until that actually happens, I'm going to be disappointed, I think. Until well, well, I'm excited for the director's cut and it being like three hours long and, uh, you know, maybe fixing out some of the pacing kinks that are that are in this movie. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm excited for more. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely excited for more. I'm, I'm, this is great that there's going to be more, and I, I agree with you. It, it did seem like a three, three-and-a-half-hour film that had got some fairly significant chunks taken out. I, I felt like there was some heavy-duty editing um, that would have given some air to the story because I felt like some of the beats and some of the scenes were kind of, felt kind of rushed to me. Um, it, the, the whole sequence when she finds out she's pregnant to the medical bed, I just felt like that was a whirlwind uh, that just... Just it didn't need to be so fast. I think some of the parts. Well, in the meantime, you can go to ifanboy.com and you can read Paul's glowing review. It's a good one uh, of the movie. And also, you can check out the Fuzzy Typewriter podcast, which is Paul's show, where you can listen to Paul and his buddy Dave go through all the different alien films and related alien things. And then you guys are gonna talk about Prometheus too, I assume. Yeah, we'll be talking about that. So check those out at Fuzzy Typewriter. Um, you can find those linked on and Paul's review and. Uh, we will be back for Amazing Spider-Man, which is uh, the next big um, summer movie I think that we're going to cover. So yeah. it, it will not be Madagascar 3. <sighs> Sorry, Mike. I was um, ready. I had my cot. I was going to line up. Well, <laughs> well, no. You can still line up and you can yeah, still see right. it. Yeah, uh, and if you want to record a podcast, we'll certainly consider it. <laughs> but uh, we're not going to sign it to you. Until, <laughs> but until then... Um, uh, thanks for listening. You can check out our ifanboy.com pick the week podcast every week. We talk about the week's, re- week's re- new releases of comics as well as our various talksplodes. Paul just talked to Paul- Greg Rucka for a long time and our various don't miss shows and all kinds of things we do on ifanboy.com every week and uh, for your enjoyment. And, and until the next one, I am Connor. I'm Paul. I'm Mike. I need no more ones.